Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, o Lord. Jesus said to his troubled friends, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees her nor knows her. You know her because she abides with you and she will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. How far have you traveled for love? When I was a kid, a little kid, we lived in Chicago. I know, they didn't say anything. When I was a kid growing up in Chicago, um, every summer, we would make the long trick, and this was before the interstate was completed, so that gives you a clue but we would drive from Chicago about 600 miles to Otter, Otter Tail County, Minnesota mm -hmm. to visit my great-grandparents. They weren't gonna make that trip, but we did. And I learned a little bit on those road trips about what love is. It was tiring. <laughs> It could be boring, but it was wonderful and necessary. So how far have you traveled for love? When my daughter and son-in-law moved to New Orleans so he could go to medical school, my wife and I traveled the 1,600 miles to go to NOLA every now and again to check in on them partly because New Orleans is great, but mostly because we wanted to be there with them, especially in times when it got a little hard for them. And now there are grandkids, so even more reason to go. And now they're in Nyack, New York, so I don't have to travel quite as far for love. But you know, traveling to Nyack is nothing compared to what you have done 
and the people you know. You know people who have traveled around the world to pick up a little baby they've just adopted, to hold that little one for the first time. You know people who have undertaken the, the, the perilous, dangerous journey of the refugee, fleeing through many dangers, toils, and snares to give their family a chance to give their family a chance to live in safety and a measure of freedom. You know people who have shuttled back and forth from home and family here in order to care for an elderly parent or a sibling far away, sick, dying. How far have you traveled for love? That question sits with me as I think about what St. Peter said this morning. And as I think about the day that comes up on Thursday this week. Do you know what it is? Thursday of this coming week is a festival day in the church's year that mostly we have forgotten. It is Ascension Day, the Ascension of our Lord. And so, this morning, we think about travel, but not so much Jesus' ascent as what has been described as his descent. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went, in which he went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison. In the next chapter of his letter, Peter will follow on with this and say this. This is the reason the gospel was proclaimed even to the dead, so that Though they had been judged in the flesh as everyone is judged, they might live in the spirit as God does. Christ descended to the dead and there, according to Peter, proclaimed the gospel in the realm of the dead. I bet you that's one of your favorite parts of scripture, right? I bet you that is the easiest thing for you to get into when we say the creed, right? He descended to the dead. He was raised. He ascended into heaven. Yep, that's nothing for you to say that, right? Pretty arcane. Pretty arcane. And hard to wrap our 21st century minds around. What is this about? Or to think along with Martin Luther, what does this mean? And I think it means a whole lot. This is no irrelevant piece of ancient mythology we should just toss aside. I think this has a lot to do with hope, with hope in our lives.
So I want to think with you a little bit about that. Martin Luther found a whole lot of comfort in saying the creed, he descended into hell. In 1527, Luther was suffering from a really significant bout of depression. He was in the pits, and this happened to him more than once in his life. During that time, as he was struggling with his depression, he wrote, Christ has first descended, that is, he has, come, he has become the least and most despised of all, so that he could not go deeper, and indeed no one could fall lower than him, because he has made himself the lowest of all, beneath the law, beneath the devil, death, sin, hell, that is, I think, to the lowest and uttermost deep. A man so depressed that he was having trouble functioning at all wrote those words and found comfort in them because even when he was ready to despair of life itself, Luther realized that Christ has chosen to share even this with him. I have struggled with depression in my life. I have struggled with periods of melancholy. It took me a long time to figure out if I was struggling with melancholy simply because of my Scandinavian genetic material. <laughs> Possible. Or if I was struggling with melancholy because I'm a Lutheran. <laughs> Possible. It took me a long time to figure out that I needed assistance with addressing it. My depression never got to the point where I needed medication, but I benefited by talking to a therapist. I've never said that from a pulpit before. I haven't. And I regret that I didn't have the courage to say it before. Because I know that some of you, some of you have struggled or are struggling right now with melancholy, with depression. Some of you are being treated for depression and some of you are so afraid of being stigmatized by depression that you won't tell anyone, you soldier on. Well, if you have appendicitis, you're going to soldier on or get it treated. Hmm? If you have a heart attack, you're going to lay there and say, I don't want anybody to know my heart isn't beating. No. And so with any form of mental illness, and that's what depression is, it's in that realm, in, with any form of mental illness, to get treated just makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Faith, for me, has also been 
a part of the way that God has accompanied me through those times. My faith, my prayer life, my engagement with Christ. Luther, Luther saw more than this, though, in Peter's words. He also saw the extent to which God will travel for the sake of love. Luther insists that the descent into hell and the ascension to God's right hand are not doctrines that can only be understood by studying scripture and creeds. In a sermon he preached in 1532, he stressed the importance of art and hymns in grasping the good news of God and grasping the good news of the gospel. He says to his congregation, get this, you will be saved by gazing upon those pictures in the church in the same way that the Israelites were saved in the wilderness by looking upon the bronze serpent, a means. The art becomes a means of God's work in our lives. And so I gave you another present this morning in the bulletin. Take it out. Now, I gave you black and white in order to save the congregation money. <laughs> but here's what it looks like in color. And I encourage you to check it out online. This is a fresco painted by Andrea Di Bonaiuto. I'm not sure how to say his name right around the year 1400. It's a fresco painted on a wall, on the wall of a church, interior wall, in Florence, Italy. Take a good look. This is the artist's sermon on 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19. This is Christ, risen, but not yet the third day. Christ, who has descended into the depths to preach to those of time past. And here, this is an image of limbo. So you will see people with bishop's hats on. You'll see some old patriarch maybe Abraham, maybe even Adam, reaching out a hand to Christ. But Christ is standing there off on the left, preaching to this congregation of the dead. And look right beneath Christ's feet. Look at that squirrely-looking demon. And look off to the right, kind of behind that wall, there are one, two, three, four demons over there, and then some other people behind them. Do you notice what the demons are doing? They are listening to the sermon. They are listening to Christ preach. In art, this artist has given us a wonderful reflection on the good news of the gospel. And it is this 
that there is no time or place. No time or place from which we can flee from God's love. God's love is present in every time and place. All people, alive, dead, people to come, are just as alive to Christ as you are now, because Christ is alive to them. That is what we celebrate in the whole mystery of the resurrection, that there is no place in your life, no place so dark, no place so wonderful, that you can travel where Christ will not accompany you and find ways to strengthen you in love. Hunter James will be washed in a moment into that very promise. As we baptize Hunter James this morning, I invite you to celebrate with the family, but also to celebrate the good news that in this washing, Hunter and you are revealed as people who can never, ever be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.